0: Hello, and welcome to the show. I'm your host, Jason Knight, and on each episode of this podcast, I'll be having inspiring conversations with passionate people in and around product management. This episode is sponsored by Skip Level. Now ask yourself this, do you struggle with communicating with dev teams and understanding technical terminology and concepts? On episode 98 of this podcast, I hosted Irene Yu, founder of Skip Level, an on-demand training program that helps professionals and teams become more technical in just five weeks, all without learning to code. You can learn the knowledge and skills you need to better communicate with devs and become more confident in your day-to-day role with the Skip Level program. You can go to skiplevel.co to find out more and use code OKIP75 to get $75 off the program in the next 30 days. That's skiplevel.co, code OKIP75. Check the show notes for more details. On tonight's episode, we talk about developer relations or DevRel to its friends and try to find out what all these people on Twitter with their avocado emojis are doing in their day-to-day jobs. We talk about what DevRel is, the types of companies that need DevRel teams, and some of the key challenges of the job. We also, most importantly, talk about how DevRel and product management intersect, how our teams can work together effectively, and whether we even need DevRel when all these product managers seem to have technical chops anyway. For all this and much more, please join us on One Night in Product. So, tonight my two guests are Tessa Creasel and Wesley Faulkner. Tessa's a dog-loving former car mechanic and keen archer who grew up in a town of only 250 people, although I did hear it was 300 before she got her first bow and arrow set. She's currently head of platform developer relations at Snap Inc. Wesley's a SXSW board member who once ran for public office, where one of his manifesto pledges was apparently to close down every Arby's in the country. He's currently head of community at Single Store. They're both here tonight to talk about developer relations. No, not that weird uncle who used to write Fortran, but the community of developer advocates and community leaders who are all over Twitter with their avocado emojis trying to set up developers for success. Tessa, Wesley, how's it going? It's going good. It's going well. Um, It's hilarious.
1: Amazing. Best introduction ever.
0: There you go. The rest of the podcast is going to be complete nonsense, but it's always good to get in a strong start. Right, so first things first, I usually ask a question like this towards the end of the interview. But this is going to be new ground for a lot of people listening, so I'm going to ask it up front. And because it's a factual question, I'm going to ask you both to indulge me in a quick game of rock, paper, scissors, so we can see who gets to explain to me, like a five-year-old, what developer relations or DevRel really means. So on three, one, two, three, go. That looked like a cheat, but Wesley won anyway, even though he was way
2: (sighs) before. So Wesley, what is developer relations? First of all, I would like to say developer relations is a department. So it is almost like people that you see out front are usually developer advocates, but there's so much more to developer relations. There is a community, of course. There is also the advocates that go out and do a lot of public speaking. There are some factors of developer relations and developer advocates that only do web streaming and don't even do public speaking outside of their own domiciles. But there's code snippets. There are podcasts like this. There are blog posts. And basically any way in the place where people gather around your technology, the developer advocate is charged with going out and finding them, communicating with them, hearing them. And developer relations is kind of like the whole vacuum cleaner to suck all of that feedback up, bring it into the company, have it be processed. And then hopefully that feedback makes better products, better demos better documentation, and then you start the cycle all over again.
0: Right. So Tessa was nodding away there. So I'm assuming that you agree with all of that. But Tessa, in your words, what do you love about developer relations as a career choice, as a team, as a department?
1: Yeah, I mean, there are so many things to love, admittedly. I will share that I, although this has changed over time, I used to be like 99% extroverted on the Myers-Briggs scale. I'm down to about 75 now, so I think with old age, I'm getting a little bitter. (laughs) But I think what I really love about developer relations is being able to support and help my peers. So I started in in a technical career and really enjoy being able to, you know, support those folks, instill knowledge, and and just like guide them along the way. And I think that I've been building communities like my entire life. And so when it's like, hey, I get to do this cool tech stuff, I get to build communities and lift people up and share with them what I know and kind of bring them into that kind of circle. For me, it's just like the absolute dream career path. So that's what I love about it.
0: That sounds amazing. I'm sold. But Wesley, you need to tell me what you love about it as well now, because obviously, yeah, it's important to get various different angles on this. There's
2: Personally, I would, I feel as if I am in a kinship with a lot of my peers, which is a really good part of it. I, most of us come from multi backgrounds. And various experiences, which means that we've lived interesting lives. And so I don't think I've met one boring person in developer relations. <laughs> uh, everyone has their own little journey and their own like way of seeing the world and experiencing the world. And I love that part of it. In terms of doing my job, I am extroverted as well. I love talking to people, I've, but I love seeing the aha moments, both. Virtually or in person, when you're explaining a concept, when you're able to break things down or when someone runs into something that is just unclear and you're able to like unpack that and doing a lot of like learning how to fish type of work and not just explaining something away and have them go away, but just really enhancing someone's life, removing a roadblock and making it so that they can become more productive and understand and grasp some of the fundamentals that really help put all the pieces together
0: right so there's a strong training and knowledge sharing and kind of upskilling element there but you're not just training people in just any old stuff right you're training people in how to use a technical product that someone is selling to these developers is that fair to say or is there some kind of general education around general development issues as well
2: There's parts of it. Some of it is just a general encouragement. Like, yes, you that is a bug. That is an error (laughs) that you'll get if you put that in the wrong location or something like that. Or like just I see you and you can do this. Some of it's just that simple. Some of it is just like, hey, talk to this person or look at the form here. And it unlocks a whole fountain of inspiration and possibilities. And sometimes it's, like I said, it's not just training. It's not showing someone how to do something. There is parts of that. And I like that as well. But it's just making sure that they are, if they go off the path a little bit, that you just redirect them back into the direction that'll help them be more successful.
1: I love that you added the encouragement side of it, because I do really feel like that is, that's a huge part of it. I think that thought leaders, which when you're in that DevRel space, being out there externally, which again, Wesley really spoke well to that you're not always in that capacity. But when you are in that capacity, being that kind of thought leader, folks look to you as that type of a person. And so your level of impact for that community can be extremely high. And so you know, encouragement, building people up. uh, And sometimes we are actually teaching best practices. Maybe it's a technology that's new, right? You're, You're bringing out a product that is something that hasn't been seen before. And so you're like, hey, I get it. You've never seen this before. But like, here's how we see it. And here's how you can implement this and how you're thinking about whatever it is that you're building or doing. So that's all I would add there is I just love the encouragement side that, that Wesley mentioned.
0: Yeah, I think encouragement and to some extent, I mean, one of my pet projects or causes at the moment is like around mentorship as well is like the ability to take people on a journey and let them know what's right and wrong in a work context, at least, you know, like what's normal, what's not normal what's their problem, what's not their problem, and stuff like that. Sounds like it's got a lot of elements of that in it. But at the same time, you're employed by companies. This isn't a charitable thing, right? Like You're doing a job for companies. So what types of companies are actually employing, say, developer advocates or DevRel people in general? Like, What types of companies, what types of product would those companies be selling or getting into these developers'
2: hands? And why would they need to get that team in place in the first place? I have to say that Tessa has, like, consulted with a lot of industries and and companies. And I think that she is an excellent person to answer this question. Let's do it.
1: Thank you, Wesley. So I will mention, and I mention this almost every time I talk about DevRel, there's a really great book out there. It's called Developer Relations, How to Build and Grow a Successful Developer Program. It's literally on my desk, actually. Prove it. By Caroline Lucco and James Pardon. Literally like right there. There you go. Yeah. So inside of this book, they actually break down the concept of developer first versus developer plus. And I use that a lot when, when I've spoken to my clients. And so when you think about developer first, those are products that are truly targeted at developers or technically minded people, right? And so when you think about DevRel, that's usually when DevRel can come in a little bit earlier in that business inception, and is almost feels like a necessary department very early on, right? Developer plus is this idea of having multiple audiences, right? Developers might be one of them, but you also might have marketers or designers or, you know, whatever that might look like. For example, I think, oh, I'm trying to think of like two really great companies to like compare, and my brain is just PayPal
2: is a good developer yeah, plus one.
1: Absolutely. PayPal's a great developer plus one that they're obviously not their only and and first audience, definitely an additional audience to go to. Where if you think about, say, like JetBrains, right? They build a lot of like code IDE platforms, they are definitely a developer first, they're really building a tool that is like for developers. And so you think about those kind of two different audiences. I like to actually talk about this third audience that I think is not mentioned a lot. But I think that it's, it can be something like thinking of like a notion, right? So like notion can be used by developers 100%. And maybe it widely is I love notion myself. So it definitely has a developer adoption. But thinking about something like notion, right, is this idea of bringing developers in to help you expand your product. And so a lot of you know Airtable, I think, can fall into that bucket too of like, how do you bring in devs so that they can start to build add-ons, they can build integrations, and they can really expand what your product offering is from that technical side. And so they can be considered developer plus, right? They are maybe a part of a vast audience that you could target to. But I think in that capacity, I really look at it as like, how do you bring devs in to like truly drive scale and impact for your business to really be able to drive all those additional innovations.
2: It's nice when you can just snap that stuff together, right?
1: Yeah, 100%. There
2: you go.
0: So I'm now thinking of an example. So for example, in my current company, we've got like a web product that we can put in the hands of people that work in banks. We've also got an API product that developers in those banks can integrate with to drive automation with their systems as well. So just to play that through, are we basically saying that the recommendation would be to have, I mean, I guess we'd call that a developer plus type approach, because you've got form factors for different types of people. But you would be putting a DevRel team in there to work with those developers in the banks, to help them be successful with the API product? Is that the long and short of it, if I put it into bare basic, simple product management terms?
1: Yep, absolutely.
0: Because we're pretty dumb, right? <laughs>
1: <laughs> Not at all, first off, but absolutely. Like you know, You've got those different audiences, right? You've got that web platform for your banks and, and the folks that engage with it from that side. But it's definitely incredibly important to leverage that API successfully to really truly find the value in that product. So I would definitely consider that a developer plus platform.
0: And one of the things that strikes me there as well is the kind of potential crossover with things like technical pre-sales as well, which is something that you see with People that are trying to get APIs, for example, into again, say banks or other kinds of institutions that need to be kind of taken through and solution designed with, and all of that stuff. Like, is that something that falls under your remit as well, or is that a very different thing, or is there kind of a
2: crossover, or even maybe some clashes between those two types of teams? I think that goes into where does Devrel fall in the organization, which is a classic argument that is (laughs) will forever be discussed and debated. I think the Romans were talking about it back in the day. So, DevRel can touch all parts of the funnel. So, uh, pre sales, post sales. The org itself needs to be optimized to make sure that that is handled efficiently and that is basically doled out in a way that won't cause burnout. Because if you are a person that has to do everything and do everything equally well, your scope is going to be really huge. Your workload will always be piling up. And that's where burnout happens. And so there could be some segmentation between some people handling some people that who are early in the process or haven't heard about you and you're more awareness, or they've made the conversion and you want to do like a workshop or a webinar just for them. There are ways to tackle this, but the answer is yes. And also maybe not, depending <laughs> on the needs of the company. And the resources that you have i think a lot of startups who are resource constrained kind of think of devrel as a you know like a superhero position they can just hop in and do anything and take care of everything that is one that i see in terms of looking at roles that are currently popping up and that is a fundamental misunderstanding of how to best utilize the person who's doing this type of work and we're not all generalists, even though that we do have a, a breadth and like a spectrum of abilities and talent. I think that if if it's not geared in a way that's sustainable, then that is something that is not going to be supportive. And also it's going it to be detrimental because it could hurt the reputation of your company. It can hurt the reputation of your product. It could hurt a lot of different things. If DevRel is not treated in the way that it's supposed to, and it's not nurtured so that it's not like get back in there and get me more sales. I mean, you can't just <laughs> you can't just like lock up someone in a box and just unleash them when they're needed. You, you need to make sure that there is a strategy in place, there is a structure and a process in place for any interactions to make sure things aren't lost and things don't get like overwhelming.
0: Sounds fair enough. I think I can certainly relate to that Swiss Army knife type approach that you get with some product managers as well. Just you know, just you kind of just cover all the bits that no one else can do. But speaking of product managers, and I guess I should probably do that, given that this is primarily a product management podcast, I ran a poll on Twitter today, so far it's got 300 or so votes, that says basically, more or less, 90% of PMs are at least somewhat technical. Certainly enough to talk to developers, even if they're not necessarily building the platform themselves, but they've got like a technical capability of some sort. So I guess the question is, let's turn the heat up a little bit. Why do we need developer relations people talking to our developer customers when we could just be getting those technical-minded product managers to talk to them instead? A deathly silence fills the room.
1: That's a deep question. (laughs) I think there's many answers to this, right? And I think Wesley spoke to the dynamics of different companies. And I think if there's one thing that we can really drill home with anyone who's listening is that no one DevRel program is the same because no single company is exactly the same, right? We we do pull some methodologies from other companies. OKRs is a great example. Google stapled them. Now lots of companies use them, right?
0: Or misuse but them. But it doesn't
1: mean <laughs> or misuse them, agreed. But it doesn't mean that they're all the same, right? And so yeah. I think that when you think about when you think about that engagement from, from product managers, I do feel like there is, and there are a lot of product managers who do go out and do these things, right? They speak to their developer customers, they have those conversations, and they find a lot of impact there. I think that when you think about, again, back to Wesley's answer, like, how do you actually define a job description? How do you say that this is what you do, and this is what you don't do? And so I think that's where DevRel can come along and say, hey, as a product manager, you have a big job to do already. And so maybe getting that product feedback is incredibly important, but can you bring in an ally that can support you in that regard? Because the amount of effort it takes to build up that community, especially if you're really early on, right? To build up that community of users, to actually have those conversations with them, and especially those technical folks. Yes, as a product manager, if you're technically savvy, then it's easier to build that relationship, but you still have to put work into it. Like I like to tell people it takes 5 to 6 touchpoints. Four, anyway, I guess from four to six really, I feel like to truly like grab onto that relationship and feel like you've built that trust. And so bringing in Devrel just really helps you to kind of take some of that pressure off so that they can go out there, start to build those relationships, start to get a brand you know knowledge for the company and help with that. And I think that the more that product managers get involved in having those conversations and being a part of that feedback loop only helps Devrel be more successful. I think when you think about it, you know, and this is a complete bias, but I think there's still a lot of this bias in tech, (laughs) is that some product managers and some technical folks don't want to do that, right? Like they want to stick to what they're doing in in their product. And they don't want to have those extroverted, as you can say, sometimes conversations, (laughs) right? They would rather kind of stick to their lane of what they're doing. And so I think that it very much can be something they can do. But I think DevRel is just a good ally to those product managers to be able to help with that feedback cycle and do some of the... Even like putting together those beta programs, hosting hackathons, there's just a lot that goes into that. And so taking that pressure off of their plate, to me, feels really impactful.
2: I can add to that. Just what Tessa's saying is 100% right on. And I think a lot of roles in developer relations is what you're talking about, touch points and building relationships. I feel that a lot of people who do advocacy and developer relations almost embed themselves in those communities. And that is something that is time intensive and to kind of like participate and be part of the community, which is an investment. And sometimes you might not have that as a a product manager. And also, no knock to product managers, but sometimes when you're a hammer, everything looks like a nail, right? So you are honing your thought process. You're honing your approach to your work in a certain way that makes you really precise and makes you really good at your job. I think some of that same discipline is needed for developer relations to the point where you're seeing it understanding like the gut and the soul of the community and being driven by helping to move or produce a product that is really tailor-made to that community. And then taking all of that and actually putting it in a briefing or a doc or something, it actually informs the product manager so that they can do their job easier. And so that portion of it's not just being technical it's all of the stuff around it that is what makes Devrel devrel so every uh, hopefully everyone who's working in a technically minded field is considered technical but that doesn't mean you can do every single job in a company
0: yeah, that makes a lot of sense I'll uh, get back in my box but let's put the focus back on you both for a second so I'll have to ask you individually like how did you get into Devrel in the first place like Tessa touched on it slightly a bit earlier like working in technical teams I guess as potentially some kind of developer developing something for someone Wesley i don't know if that was the same for you but like there's got to have been a point for each of you where you kind of just sat down and thought hey i want to do this thing or was it just like a gradual sort of segue and some kind of responsibilities that you took on as part of your day job and then you eventually kind of morphed into what you became
2: oh i got to say that uh, i've been i guess addicted to jobs that didn't exist um <laughs> when i was starting and I had my own technical track that I did for a while and then social media came along and I was like, oh, this is pretty cool. And then I switched careers (laughs) from being a, a product development engineer at a microprocessor company called AMD to doing social media marketing and really understanding how people are communicating out on the web and in different types of communities. And because that didn't exist back then. And so it became a thing. And then I loved it because I was able to use my left brain and my right brain and do the analyst charts and breaking things down about like how many clicks we got, how many links that people decided they liked and polls and feedbacks and AMAs and all this stuff with social and the engagement and figure out like. Who, let's connecting networks, connecting people and just, you know, just really being amongst people. Cause that's something I didn't have before as a product development engineer. And so I really kind of like gravitated to that. And then I loved it. And then someone approached me and says, hi, we're spinning up a developer relations position here at IBM. And because of your social background and your technical background, I think you would be great for it. And then that's what got me over to doing developer relations uh, as an advocate. But that is not something I planned for. This was not something I said, oh, that's the trajectory that I want to be on. Luckily, I would say these positions caught up to me. Uh, This is the kind of stuff I love to do. You're a pioneer. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't choose it. It choose me. (laughs) And, And that's kind of like how I got here. It's just because someone tapped me on the shoulder and says, this looks like you. Is this you? And I said, oh yeah, that does look like me. And that's how I got here. There you go.
1: I love that. My story is actually very similar. So Really quick story first. Um, when I taught myself how to code, so I have no official computer science degree. I actually have no degree, which I I say proudly. Oh, me
0: neither. Me too. It's a
1: college dropout. <laughs> Is that my the first time that I wanted to build something cool was a Guitar Hero community actually, and at the time I didn't realize I was building a community. I wanted to bring Guitar Hero players together so that we could have tournaments and play with one another in kind of a, an organized way. And of course, you can play with your friends, but it wasn't like. Hey, there's 2000 of us that are all joining forces to play against each other. And so I taught myself how to code to kind of build up this Guitar Hero community and, and tournament site, essentially. And that's how I got into my tech career. So years later, I'm in my tech career. And because I taught myself how to code, I was very passionate about teaching other people how to code. Like, hey, I picked this up, like, you can do it too. Again, where Wesley mentioned earlier like really encouragement right encouraging folks to be able to do something that I felt I can do like you can do it. And so I ended up getting involved with an organization called Girl Develop It and I started teaching kind of the gamut of front end development. So did you know HTML 101 all the way into like early JavaScript. And so I taught over 300 women to code, loved it, absolutely loved it. Really was passionate about public speaking, educating in kind of all those capacities. And that led me into a role similar to Wesley that I ended up applying for called an agency and community engineer. No clue what that meant, right? When I got into the role, (laughs) but I, I was looking at the bullet points and I'm like, ooh, training and teaching and public speaking and helping people. Yes, like that sounds amazing. Got into that role very, you know, once I learned about developer relations, realized that I was like, oh, hey, I'm a developer advocate. There's an industry term for what I'm doing. And so I actually just fell into it as well based on finding a very technical job that did all the things that a developer advocate does in a traditional role today.
0: Well, let's talk about that day in the life then of a DevRel developer advocate or anyone else in the wider DevRel team. So top level, we don't want to go into every single 15-minute window that you work, but how are you roughly spending an average day in DevRel doing what you do for your companies?
2: My role is I'm head of community at Single Store. And the the way that I work may be different from other people, but I usually try to go through the headlines, understand what's going on in the world so I can put what I do in context. So if there is something about an explosion or like a company imploding, there's things that help put things in context in terms of the community because context is king. And really understanding... Why something might be all of a sudden more important than the other is is how kind of how how I reset myself for the day. Then I I I go to Slack, go to email, I check to see what if there's any urgent things, and then I check on the community. We have a lovely community manager named Maria. She's done does amazing work, and she's there day to day. And so I see if there's like issues that need to be handled escalated. Then I look at my meetings for the day, which are full of meetings and making sure people are looped in, (laughs) and then. Because of my role, I'm mainly strategic. And so understanding budget, understanding roadmap, understanding all those things that are changing constantly. And so I'll reset myself, do any adjustments to strategy or tactics, depending on that information. And that's a lot of it, just making some documentation so that where processes don't exist, I have to create them. Where roadblocks exist, I need to remove them. So that's generally speaking what I do walking through my day.
1: Yeah, Wesley spoke to, you know, definitely a lot of parts of it, right? The, the generalized, you know, work like monitoring community, things like that, like all incredibly important things. In my current role, I'm five weeks in, so I'm like fire hose of information, right? Trying to learn all the things. <laughs> but I'm also kind of diving into that strategy. And I think, you know, Wesley spoke to that too, but strategy is incredibly important with DevRel, especially prioritization of work, because we spoke to this already. There's so much that can be done. And I think DevRel is also somewhat misunderstood. And like, where is that actual narrow path? Just like we talked about with product managers, where do you kind of cut those lines of like, do you go out and talk to your community or do you let DevRel do that? And so really starting to prioritize what does that look like? And so I think really what is falling into my bucket, at least right now, is thinking about the feedback loop. Like, how does that loop happen within product, within engineering, within that outward developer ecosystem and doing that cohesively within all of those stakeholders? there is just so much stakeholder collaboration and i think that speaks to like that heavy meeting world and then you know looking at that community like wesley spoke to that really well today we the, the role that i'm at we don't actually have a community launched yet so we're like in the strategy and inception phase which is exciting but a lot of work and so another piece of that really and when you think more of that developer advocacy side is kind of that outreach and so that's another piece that i'm thinking about too is that You know, we've got folks who are actually working on documentation from a developer experience angle. And so it's really, really great that I have that supporting team where sometimes that falls under DevRel. And so you are writing docs. You are thinking about the product experience alongside product managers. You are, you know, really diving into some of that overall developer experience. So I'm just partnering with those folks, right? And so allowing me to be able to focus on more of that advocacy. So on the advocacy side, it's more about that enablement content and kind of getting yourself out there, spending time in those communities that Wesley mentioned earlier, really being those key investors in there, and a lot of event strategy. right? And I know that events is is something that folks are like, oh, DevRel is going to a bunch of conferences. Of course, that hasn't been the case the last two (laughs) years. And I will say that's never the case in the DevRel programs that I care about. Sure, there are a time and a place for events. But you know, right now, I think everyone's like, yes, let's go back to events. Let's bring all these conferences back. And so it's a, it's a key thing that I'm currently thinking about is like, what does that event schedule and strategy look like? But also, what does that virtual strategy look like? Like, how are we bringing folks together on a virtual level? And what does that kind of content look like in terms of getting started guides, code samples, product showcases? And so I feel like that kind of speaks to what, you know, on a strategy side, you think about, but also on an advocate side, like, what are you actually delivering on as well?
0: This makes the role sound very similar to more like marketing than development. Is that a uh, controversial take?
1: I think Devrel people hate to hear that. Like, hate <laughs> that people say they're marketing. Yeah, Wesley's
0: face is not looking too happy uh, right now. Also,
1: <laughs> he got the good big eyes. That was. It's awesome. Got the
0: thousand yard stare on right
2: there.
1: Yeah, honestly, like I feel like it does. Right in some capacities, we are not marketers by a traditional sense. Right, but. Developers are not your traditional end users either. Like, you know, there are marketing techniques that can work on, you know, the average human, as you say, where when you think about developers, they want that relationship, they want that trust. So I think where, again, where DevRel can kind of really just fall across so many different areas is that we are a little bit of marketing. We're also a little bit of product management, at least working really closely with those product managers. We are a little bit of engineering. We're also a little bit of customer success. Sometimes we're a little bit of recruiting, right? We're already out there. And so yeah. HR recruiting can come to us and say, hey, can you put out these roles at, at this event? And I think that you know, you're know you really kind of, sometimes a lot of company functions for a very specific audience. And so, yeah, there's there's definitely a little bit of marketing in it.
2: I think from that perspective, it's almost like when someone says a CEO gives an all hands speech and it's like, we're all in sales, you know, like we all are <laughs> like invested in the success of the company. But yes, I think part of the d- the difference or the the things that, that cause people in the space to have pause about that. By the way, I'm in marketing is that, <laughs> so I can say this is sometimes it's the cadence and the measurement that's part of it. So, okay, it's, end of quarter did we make our numbers part of it kind of marketing or it's hey how many leads did we bring in that's part of marketing but sometimes the actions and the things that we do to participate and doing the practice of devrel doesn't fall neatly in those buckets and in that department where those are the places where friction can happen and if the person who's at the top of these orgs like marketing And have developer relations reporting to them, if they don't understand what DevRel is, if they don't embody the way that it's practiced and the optimal way to roll it out or to see it happening in the world or from their company, that's when you also can understand where friction might happen internally, where there's a power struggle between best practices and then expected results.
0: That makes a lot of sense. But we talked just now about working with product managers, and again, trying to swing it back onto the product management focus. What are some ways that product managers can really help DevRel teams or obviously get helped back in return? Like, What are some of the ways that they can work really effectively with DevRel teams to help make successful products and have happy customers?
1: I mean, I think there are many ways, right? I think that you know we spoke to earlier, like how to kind of, not how to necessarily, but product managers, right? And when they're technically minded or, or, you know, previous engineers themselves, or whatever role they're kind of fitting into, like, how can they decide whether or not they dive out into that community. And so I think that, you know, thinking about what kind of information you would like, if you are working with an ally, that's going to go out and actually talk to your customers. And so a lot of things that I like to think about when it comes to this relationship is like that feedback loop, right? So coming back to a huge thing that I advocate for is that feedback loop. And so Working with product managers, it's really great when I've got a product manager who is like, yep, I'm all on board. Like, how do we facilitate this feedback loop? How do we take these ideas and and actually respond to them? Like often I've built feedback programs where the product manager, you know, there's kind of a a filter, right, of all the ideas that come in. And when product managers can grab those ideas and say, hey, you know what? That's in the roadmap. That's going to happen in 60 days. Then I can say, great, I'm going to go tell the community that I'll check in with them. I'll maintain that relationship. But you just keep me in the loop so we know what's going on. I think another piece of it too is the product roadmap, like being really clear about what that roadmap looks like for at least especially for the developer audience. And how can I get that in the hands of the right people? Does that mean that we build product ambassadors together that can help kind of shape and guide that product roadmap? Or is it something that's very kind of clear cut, but like, I'll give me the space to be able to kind of share that, you know, change logs and kind of release notes. I think those are really super important for developers. Sometimes things are hugely different when a release is put out there. And I think being on the forefront of that so that we can tell folks with enough notice, hey, this is going to be an instrumental change. Or hey, you know what, this is going to be a small incremental change. And you're going to be able to just keep using things as usual, Um, especially like APIs, right? There can be huge, major releases to versions versus like, okay, it's just a little bit of updates. And so I think anything where you're kind of thinking about that product to that end technical user, your developer audience, that whole loop of like, how do we do that best? And I think one thing that I also like love to do, and I think, you know, usually kind of falls with product is like giving back that actual kind of thank you, right? So if someone gives a product idea that ends up in the product, let's put them in the release notes, like that's, let's give them some credibility. Because at the end of the day, when you're working with developers, it's really about building trust. And so any form of relationships and collaboration that can happen that kind of touches any of those touch points, I think for me, it can be really impactful from a product manager.
0: And Wesley, what's one thing that product managers do that really grinds your gears?
2: I, I got to say that I love most product managers. Um, <laughs> you know the audience. That's all, that's all I can say. That, I mean, seriously, though, they, they think about everything or they try to, and then they do some testing and then they stay on top of things to make sure it gets done. And then I I've I have nothing but love from product managers. Um
0: I'll take the gun away in a second, don't
2: we? Yeah. I don't know if there's anything that I dislike. Uh, seriously, I I'm no joking. That they're amazing. everyone <laughs> that I met is like, I wish I could do what you do, and I just can't. Like managing the, the, the three constructs or the three constraints or sorry, is just something that has like always befuddled most people and that they can't <laughs> think of. But then so uh I would say the only thing right, here we go. one of the only things Is because of the unrelenting job of balancing corporate initiatives with community feedback, where they are pushed and doing the thing that they're told to do and having to balance that with the thing that they know that they should be doing based on the research and having to put forward that. That's something I I don't admire about them, but that's more of a circumstance (laughs) of their their jobs rather than, than themselves. I can guarantee you, by the way, that most product managers don't admire
0: themselves in that situation either. It's a constant tension between being told what to do by well-meaning but potentially misguided stakeholders and actual user feedback and actual big picture thinking. So you're not alone in being concerned about that. What about you, Tess? You've been uh, working with a bunch of people. You must have some pet peeve that product managers have inflicted upon you in the past.
1: I will say, like Wesley, I do... I have so much respect for product managers. They have a really hard job to do, especially with managing those stakeholders. I feel like in DevRel, we can be a little pushier, or at least maybe that's just me. I feel like I can be (laughs) a little pushier back to stakeholders and say, nope, this is not how my audience wants it, or this is not how we should do it. But I think the one kind of pain point that I've had with product managers, and this has only happened on, on very rare occasions, is where they haven't had either A, a good understanding of DevRel, and they haven't dove into trying to understand it, or kind of B, they just have point blank decided that like I am their enemy and they don't want to work with me. And so <laughs> I think it's just been a matter of you know a little bit of understanding of sharing what Devrel is, and I think just maybe just happened to be a not so great human being that I worked with that just was like incredibly difficult to work with and didn't allow me to really dive into soliciting that feedback and improving that developer experience from that kind of documentation standpoint and feeling like they needed to, to retain all ownership. And like, hey, we've all got a job to do right. But I'm all about collaboration. And how can we work together? Yeah. And then a rare occasion, but happened to be my my uh, poor experience with the product manager.
0: Well, when it comes to product managers finding out a little bit more about DevRel, or what you do in general, or the, maybe, you know, how we can partner more effectively, where can people find both of you after this, if they want to chat more about DevRel, or DevRel versus product, or DevRel with product or Any of the stuff we talked about tonight?
2: Well, you can listen to my dulcet tones on the podcast that I co-host called Community Posts. There are no
0: other podcasts.
2: (laughs) CommunityPosts.io. I'm also a frequent user of Twitter. So if you go to twitter.com forward slash Wesley83, you can find me there. And if you want to see all the work that I produce and want to collaborate, there's a nice collaborate button on Polywork. So if you go to polywork.com forward slash Wesley83, you can find me there.
1: I love that. I'm a big fan of Polywork as well. So I have been lucky enough. Sounds like Wesley in the same boat to have the user handle TessaK22 pretty much across all the socials. I'm also. So a you big were born heavy... in 1922. Oh yeah, hundred <laughs> percent. It's actually my wedding anniversary, so oh, it was go. just a never very forget. important day to me. Yeah, never forget that day. Well, I mean, plus hello reminder. Now I won't forget. <laughs> <laughs> but I very much am on Twitter. I'm also on Polywork. I also do a lot of blogging under tessacrisal.com, also founded devocate.com, which is D-E-V-O-C-A-T-E, and blog a lot over there as well. So, yeah.
0: Excellent. Well, I'll make sure to link both of your details, or both of your sets of details in the show notes, and hopefully you get a few curious product managers heading in your direction, or maybe even a few people trying to make the switch into DevRel from product management and kind of controversial uh, transformation there. That's been a fantastic chat. So obviously, really grateful that you both took some of your valuable time to come to this side of the house and help PMs understand a little bit more about the space. Uh, Hopefully, we can stay in touch. But yeah, as for now, thanks for taking the time. Thanks for having us. Really appreciate it. Yes, thank you. As always, thanks for listening. I hope you found the episode inspiring and insightful. If you did, again, I can only encourage you to pop over to OneNightInProduct.com, check out some of my other fantastic guests, sign up to the main Mist or subscribe on your favourite podcast app and make sure you share with your friends so you and they can never miss another episode again. I'll be back soon with another
1: inspiring guest, but as for now, thanks and good night.